There is a poem, I don't know if many of you have heard of it, it was by a man named Francis Thompson. He wrote it in 1893 called The Hound of Heaven. I don't know, anyone ever heard that poem, ever heard of it? Okay. The poem begins like this. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthian ways of my mind in the mist of tears. What he's talking about is running from God. You ever been on the run from God in your life? When you knew you were, you were sinning, you knew that God was coming after you and you just did not have any peace in your life no matter where you went, no matter what you did, no matter how you tried to get rid of it, conviction was still there. You knew you were doing wrong. God was pursuing you just like you were that lost sheep, that one sheep out of the, the, the remember the one that went away and, and God pursues that one that went away after the 99 stayed. I felt like that in my own life. I remember when I was a, a younger man, I was working in a grocery store, I knew I was on the run from God. I'd been raised to hear the truth of God's word, but I wasn't ready to submit my life. In my mind, everybody that I knew went to church was just really socially awkward, wasn't cool, and I, I just didn't want to be with those people. And I, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I was really into the, the world. I was really caught up in it. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. But God has a way of getting our attention in certain situations. He brings people into our lives that just really convict us. I was working at a grocery store. I was a, a bag boy, and uh, there was a, a youth pastor. Didn't, I didn't go to his church, but I knew him. He would come in, and he would talk to me. He would always invite me to youth group. It wasn't a deep theological conversation. He just would invite me to youth group, ask about my life. And after a while, I was so convicted that when I would see him coming, I would just, I, gotta, I need a bathroom break. I, I got to get something in the back, you know, I, and I would just wait. I would wait behind the meat counter because that's a two-way glass, and he couldn't see me, but I could see him, and I'd just wait for him to walk out of the door before I would go back. You ever been like that in your life where you're on the run? And, you know, though, it, it, for me, I was on the run. I had all this sin in my life. I wasn't willing to give it up, and it wasn't, I had kept it secret. I'd hid it from everybody, and it wasn't until that all my sin came out that I'm sitting across from my mother as an 18-year-old man telling her about the most horrific sins that I'd done. It was the most humiliating time of my life. And I, my mother said one thing, though, that day that I'll never forget. She said, Travis, God forgives. Jesus has died for you and your sin. And I was floored. I could not comprehend how she could hear all my sin. And it had to have been as awkward for her as it was for me. But she spoke that truth into my life. And it was that moment in time that I surrendered. And you know what? There are times where we think surrender is a bad thing, but there's a time where there's the sweetest surrender imaginable. We throw up our arms and we say, I give up, God. I give up. I've done, I've tried to do my own way. I can't do it anymore. I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do. I'm ready to give you all of my life. I'm ready to give you all of my sin, all of the garbage that I've kept in, all of my struggles, all of my trials. Here it is. Take my life and do, take my life, just as we were singing, take my life. Do what you want to do with it. That's what it means to follow Christ. We have to surrender. You know, the Bible describes in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, that we were God's enemies. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, it says that we were once children of wrath, alienated from God. But see, it's amazing to me that while we were still yet sinners, God's enemies, that Christ died for us, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. That He wants us to lay down the arms of our rebellion to Him 
and then follow him in discipleship. Today we're going to talk about what it means to follow Christ. And what does it mean to surrender ourselves and experience this sweet surrender. So we're in Mark chapter 8. We're going to be reading from verse 34 through 38. It's our tradition here at Village Bible Church Grace Campus to stand for the reading of God's word. So please stand with me as we read the word of God together. The Holy Spirit through Mark says... And he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today asking you to transform us. Lord, I pray if there's someone here today that's still holding on to the arms of their rebellion, Lord, I pray that they might see truly what it means to submit to you in sweet surrender. And Lord, for those of us that have rebelled, we've possibly backslidden. Lord, help us to, to turn back to you, to follow you. And of Lord, for the, the, the rest of us that just need that your spirits touch right now. I pray that you encourage, our, encourage us and challenge our hearts to walk ever closer with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So stay with me. Look at, and keep your, your eyes nimble. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Where does it begin? It begins with surrender. Let's look at the, verse 34 together. And he called to him the crowd with his disciples. So it's not just his disciples that are there. It's the crowd that's with him. And he says to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So following Jesus, first of all, begins with this step. And I want you to write this down. It's number one in your notes. It's surrendering our ego to the Lord. Surrendering our ego. You can't come to God with, your, with just your proud self and, and want to do what God wants you to do and then be who you want to be doesn't work that way. We can't hold on to all of our sin and then just make God fit into our life. We fit into His. And we move into His life. So it means surrendering our ego. And our ego, the word ego, the dictionary defines ego as our sense of self-esteem or self-importance. In other words, He's calling us to surrender our selfish desires, who we are as people, any whiff of self-importance or pride. That, what does that mean? Well, it involves three things, and I want you to stay with me in your text here. The first is this. Let him deny himself. The first step in surrendering our egos to the Lord involves denying self. Denying self. Now, it's interesting, though, that the word here in Greek, deny, means to turn someone off, to refuse association and companionship with him, to disown. Now, who is to be disowned in this? Ourselves. We're to disown ourselves. Now, that looks strange. What does that mean to be disowned? It means disown our natural, fleshly self, all of our hopes, all of our dreams, all of our ambitions, all of our desires. Everything is surrendered to Him. It's not merely some sinful habit or desire that we're giving over or some outward practice that we're abandoning, but the whole entirety of man, the entirety of person. We're to deny everything to, 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 to follow Him. There's no other way. So we deny self. Now notice the, the second one. Let him deny himself and take up his cross. Now, we, 
who are beneficiaries of Christ's atoning death. We know about the crucifixion and resurrection, but they didn't quite get that yet. Jesus had just told them plainly, we saw last week, but they didn't understand that he was going to die on a cross yet. So the cross in their mind was a symbol of capital punishment. And we've talked about this before. It's like saying to you now, if, if you were a disciple, he says, take up your electric chair and follow me. Take up the needle. Take up the firing squad. And your, your question would be, your, your face would be just like a puppy when it doesn't understand. What? It doesn't make a lot of sense. To us, we understand the meaning of the cross because we've seen, cross, we've seen Christ walk that Via Dolorosa. We've seen that, that way that he has gone. But then they were just understanding it. It was a means of capital punishment. And it was an understanding of death. So what we, ha- we have to see here, to follow Jesus means surrendering our ego. And that involves, that we just saw, it means denying self, but it also means dying to sin. Dying to sin. Do you know that Paul talks about that? That if we're to follow God, we're to have to mortify or die to sin. Kill sin in our life. That's what he says, if you're going to live by the Spirit, you have to, to nourish the Spirit. But if you're, gonna, you're, if you're gonna do so, you have to put to death what is sinful in you. John Owen, the great Puritan divine who lived in the seventh century, wrote an entire book called The Mortification of Sin. How to continually remove sin in our life. Sin is deadly serious. But see, many of us don't, don't believe how serious sin is. We tolerate it a little bit in our life. Do you do that? You know, there's a story, I mean, of a, a Haitian pastor gave this parable of this man who wanted to give everything but kept something back, just a little bit for himself. He tells a story about a man who was desirous to sell his home in Haiti for $2,000. And um, a man came and wanted to buy his home, but he, he couldn't afford it. So after some negotiation, he ended up selling it for $1,000, half of what the asking price. But with one stipulation, that he got to keep one nail above the doorway. That's all he got to keep in the entirety of the house. The other guy agreed. After a while, the man who sold the house wanted the house back. So he, he went out, found the carcass of a dead dog, and hung it on the nail. And then the house became unlivable, unlivable uninhabitable. See, that's what Satan does in our life. When we hold on to one sin in our life, he takes that one sin and ends up making it ruined for Christ's habitation. See, when we tolerate that one thing in our life, we don't try to mortify, to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh that we see in Romans chapter 6 and in Romans chapter 7. We see it in Colossians, we see it in Galatians, that if we don't put to death the sin in our life, that it's going to take us over. We're showing then that we value sin more than the Savior. Jesus is saying, take up your cross and follow me. The understanding is it's a daily thing that we have to do. It's a daily thing to take up his cross. We have to continually appropriate Christ's death as our own and Christ's resurrection as our own. If you want to know how to mortify and kill the sin in your life, we have to understand that fact. Here's what I mean. Turn with me in the book, in your Bible, to the book of Galatians chapter 2. Many of you are very familiar with this verse. Undoubtedly, you've memorized it. Um, I know some of you, several of you have. But I want us to look at this together. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is Paul, Paul saying, and this is a truth that we all must be able to comprehend if we are to truly understand how to get victory over sin. How many of you want victory over sin in your life? You know the sin that you're struggling with. You hate it. 
That's what Paul talks about all the time. This wretched body of death that I'm carrying around. Every, the good that I want to do, that's not what I do. The things I don't want to do, this I do. He says that in Romans chapter 7. But here's how we can appropriate and learn how to live a victorious Christian life. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's the understanding that we have been crucified with Christ. The death that he died, we appropriate as our own by faith. We see that we are no longer held to the power of sin. The power of sin has been severed in our life. We don't have to be slaves to sin any longer. Many of us don't understand what it's like to be a slave. We have to, when, when you're a slave, you have to do whatever the master tells you to do. But we, we know what it's like. We want to stop sinning, but we just can't do it. Keep coming back to it. Keep coming back to it. I was doing this. I struggled with this so much in my own life. I kept saying, how do I get victory? And it's not until I really, truly realized that sin didn't have any power over me anymore. Because I was crucified with Christ. So I, I have to appropriate Christ's death as my own. But I also appropriate His resurrection as my own. That's why he says, the life I, li- I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, I want you to flip to another scripture passage with me. Flip to Romans chapter 6. We're going to see what that means to walk in this resurrection life of Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. The Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin, because we were crucified with Christ, died to sin, still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, this is the metaphorical, the the spiritual baptism that occurs the moment that we trust in Christ, into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, keep looking. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, a death like His that's a crucified with Christ, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self, the old man, the fleshly person, was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. This is why, my brothers and sisters, when we, see, when we look at the cross in our church, there's no Jesus on the cross anymore. Because he's not continually paying for it over and over again. It was once and for all sufficient for all time. That's how great the sacrifice of Christ on the cross was. So he died for sin once and for all. Once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life 
and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Now, how do we do that? We can't do that in our own flesh. We can only do that by the Spirit of God within us. Because God places His Spirit within us so that the Son of God might grow up in us, that we might be conformed to start to look like Jesus. And the more that we cultivate the Spirit of God, the child of God within us, by feeding the child of God through the reading of the Word of God, we start to look more like Jesus. Have you ever seen a couple that's been married a long time? Do you ever notice that they start looking alike after a while? I mean, that's great for me. That's bad for my wife. But it's true, because the more that we're together, the more that our our mannerisms start becoming very similar, the words that we say, the expressions that we say, our ideas become together. See, the idea is, is the more time that we spend together, the more time we spend beholding something, the more that we become like it and want it. You know, there's a story of a farmer in the Midwest who had three sons that were raised on the farm. But as the sons grew up, all three of them went to work for the Coast Guard, and he couldn't figure out why. How did these three boys who were raised in the middle with no, no ocean or around them work for the Coast Guard? And he asked a friend this. He said, I can't figure out why. And he said, well, show me where they sleep, where they, where they used to sleep. So he took him upstairs, and he showed him his bedroom, and a guy looked around, and he said he just didn't notice anything, and he started to walk down the stairs. And right at the top of the stairway, right as he was going down the stairs, there was a big picture of a boat on the ocean. Every single day, those young men saw that every time they went downstairs. They had that picture in front of their mind, day in and day out. See, the idea is, is when we continually put something in our minds and before us, we're going to start to become like it and become to want it. That's what we have to remember. We have to put that before us and devote ourselves to the Savior. That's what Jesus says next. Flip back in your your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 8 again. When Jesus says, take up his cross, so you had to deny yourself, die to sin, take up his cross. That means devote yourself to the Savior. Follow me. That's what Jesus says next. Follow me. Devote yourselves to the Savior. Write that down. That's that letter C under point one in your notes. Devoting ourselves to the To the Savior. That's what Jesus wants us to do. Devoting the entirety of ourselves to Him without exception. And we do that by, again, taking up His cross daily. We have to do this on a daily basis to devote ourselves all over and over and over again. We have to fill ourselves with the Spirit of God. Now, here's what that means. Let me try to illustrate that for us just for a moment. Um, my family likes to go to Trader Joe's and do a little bit of shopping at Trader Joe's. And when we go, my kids like to get a balloon. Yeah, those are the people that have smaller kids. They get little balloons, right? And they're so excited about the balloon, they tie it to their wrist. They get in the car, and it's, it you know, floats around in the car. We get home, and it just goes up to the ceiling, and we all go to bed. We come back the next morning. Where's the balloon? It's gone all the way down. Now, the reason is, is the rubber material doesn't hold the helium very well. Now, That's kind of like our spiritual life. We might get filled with the Spirit one day, then it goes down. We have to refill it again to get it to go back up. Continually, day after day. The day after day. Because you know what? This metaphorical spiritual body that we have doesn't hold the Spirit of God real well. Doesn't hold it real well. We have to continually nourish our spiritual life day by day. That's why we read the Word of God on a daily basis that we try to apply God's Word to our life, that we take the time to not only read the Word, but let the Word read us. Not just go through the the, the motions of a devotion, but take time to commune 
with the living God. We devote ourselves to the Savior. But let's continue on in our text. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now, it's interesting here when he says, save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. Will save it. See, there's the understanding that we were made to be, we're spiritual beings that are going to live forever. This is just the warm-up act. This world is. You know? So we have to understand that our life, everything that we're doing right now is investing in eternity. That's number two that I want you to write down in your notes. Investing in eternity. If we're to surrender to Christ, we, we, take, we deny ourselves, we take up His cross, we follow Him, we're dying to sin on a day-by-day basis, and then we're investing our life for eternity. Now, what does that mean, investing our life? It, it means several different things that we're going to see as we go through this text. It's understanding as we look in verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? What does that mean? How do we appropriate that? It means knowing the price of our soul. Do you know how valuable you are? Think about it. How valuable are you? You were bought with a price. Did you know that? You were bought with a price, the most precious price imaginable. Jesus, we see in the book of Acts chapter 20, verse 28, that you were bought with Jesus' own blood. You know, I think about that. I, I, I don't know if you've ever seen the very graphic World War II movie, Saving Private Ryan. If you're familiar with the story, you have Matt Damon's character who is who's Private Ryan, and his four brothers have been killed, and the, the uh, army had a policy that if so many family members were killed, and they're, they're, they would be, the other one would be removed from battle, so they would still have a child. So these men go off, these four men go off to find and rescue Private Ryan, who's in the midst of a war zone, and uh, led by Tom Hanks, and they all end up dying in the process. And it gets to the end of the film, and you see um, Private Ryan is an old man, facing the grave of some of the men that had died for him. And he's reflecting on his life, and he says this to his wife. He says, tell me I've led a good life. Tell me I've led a good life. She says, what? Tell me I'm a good man. She says, you are. See, what captivated this man is to realize that four other men gave their life for him to have life. And as he reflected on that, he said, the price of four men's lives were given for me. Have I lived a life that has been worthy of their sacrifice? You know, Jesus is greater than four men. He was greater than an army. Matter of fact, he's the greatest of any man that has ever lived. And he gave his life for you. That's a pretty amazing truth when we begin to consider the repercussions of that. I even think of David. Uh, King David was going out to battle, or getting ready to go out to battle. And he's an older man. And his men, though, were preparing to go out and they, to war. Um, he wanted to go with them, and they stopped him. And they said this in 2 Samuel 18, 3. They said, you shall not go out. For if we flee, they won't care about us. If half of us die, they will not care about us. 
but you are worth 10,000 of us. Therefore, it is better than you that you send us help from the city. See, Jesus is more valuable than 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000. He's the greatest single individual this world has ever, ever seen. And then he gave his blood for you. The scripture says in Corinthians that you were bought with a price. The most expensive price tag imaginable. God's son. So we need to understand what the price of a soul is. And how valuable you are. You are so valuable that God was willing to die for you. And yet we have a hard time making even time for him. You know, though, we can't pay back to God. I don't want us to think that we have to pay back to God because we can't. We have to be aware of the debtor's ethic that constantly says, God died for us. We have to live for him. We have to somehow pay that back. You can't. I can't. Because it is by grace we have been saved through faith, and this not from ourselves, so that no man will boast in the sight of God. We can never pay back to God what he did for us. We can only submit to him. Surrender. Surrender and then respond in loving obedience to who he is and what he has done. So it means, so understanding and investing our lives for eternity means knowing the price of our soul, but it also means abandoning old pursuits. Look at this. I want us to see this in the, in the text. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul, forfeit his soul. You know you can gain the whole world. You can have all the power that you want. You can have all the fame that you want. You can have all the success that you want. You can have more fans and followers on Twitter and Facebook, and that means nothing. It doesn't matter. I am grieved that this younger generation that's growing up wants to be famous more than anything else. That's all I hear them talk about. It's because of Justin Bieber, and it's because of the, the Grayson kid chance because they get fame through youtube and the kids today think if i can have just a great youtube video everybody's gonna love me you know what it means nothing absolutely nothing if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul you your soul is much more valuable than anything this world could ever offer you you can take all the power all the money put it all together and it's still like one speck of sand in the sahara desert It's like a mud puddle next to the Atlantic Ocean. That's what it's like. But there are people today that are trading everything that they have to be famous, to be powerful, to be, they'll give up their integrity, they'll sacrifice their purity, they will give anything to be famous. That's why I love inspirational stories. This past February 2nd, foxnews.com ran a story uh, that really made headlines about someone who abandoned their hold pursuits to pursue Christ. Perhaps you heard of this story, but it's about the Victoria's Secret model, Kylie Busetti, 21 years old. She was chosen when she was 19 years old out of 10,000 contestants to be the next Victoria's Secret model. She was on top of the world, just recently married, and she's, she's posing in men's magazines. She's doing all of these different things. Everybody wants to be a part of her, but she's reading the Bible, and she's getting convicted. And finally, she says, I can't do it anymore, and quits the best job that she always wanted, Victoria's Secret. She says this. She goes, Victoria's Secret was the biggest, absolutely biggest goal in my life. It was all I ever wanted career-wise. I actually loved it while I was there. It was so much fun, and I had a blast. But the more I was modeling lingerie, and lingerie isn't clothing, I just started becoming more uncomfortable with it because of my faith. I'm a Christian. And reading the Bible more, I was becoming more convicted about it. 
the California native, now 21, said that in the wake of burying her body as an angel, she was also hosting parties, posing for men's magazines, and craving more and more attention, but she was not feeling good about herself. She said this. This is amazing to think she's saying this in our world today, by the way. In the public arena, she said, my body should only be for my husband, and it's just a sacred thing. She said, I'd just gotten married before winning the competition. I didn't really want to be that kind of role model for younger girls because I had a lot of younger Christian girls that were looking up to me and then thinking that it was okay for them to walk around and show their bodies in lingerie to guys. It was pretty crazy because I'd finally achieved my biggest dream, the dream that I always wanted. But when I finally got it, it wasn't all that I thought it would be. Especially being married, I just wanted to keep my marriage sacred because divorce rates now in America are pretty high. And I just want to do everything I can to keep my marriage special. It's a very hard industry to be in without falling into things you don't want to do, she said. I've fallen into many things that I wouldn't have wanted to do. It's a very tempting industry. My goal is just to be a better role model for the youth. I just want them to see me as somebody that they can look up to and somebody that's going to be dressing appropriately. And I'm not going to get into the things that I wouldn't want them getting into, she added. I want to go over the top because I don't think enough people go over the top about how serious This all is. I just want people to see something different about me because I have that faith, and I think it's so important for everyone to have. Wow. Top of the world. Top of the world. Achieved her dreams. The desire of men everywhere. Cameras all the time. Making so much money she doesn't know what to do with, and she says, no. I'm going to abandon that way of life in pursuit of Christ. How many of us are willing to do that? How many of us are willing to sacrifice our dreams and lay them at the foot of Christ? See, Jesus says, one who seeks to lose his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. The word lose in Greek is a polumi, and it means to destroy fully or used reflexively. It means to perish or lose literally or figuratively. Destroy, die, lose, mar, perish. Notice there's a conjunction there when he says, loses his life for my sake and the Gospels. There are two things that he's saying there. One is to know Christ. It's losing his life for Christ and the Gospels in making him known. So he's saying, I'm losing my life to know who Jesus is and, to, and let other people know who Jesus is. For the God to know Jesus and to make him known. He's, so what he's doing, if we abandon our pursuits, then we have to embrace God's priorities. See, that's the next part that we need to see. Are God's priorities your own? Are you making God's priorities yours? That's what we need to be doing. We want to desperately do what God desires that we do. We want to know Him and to make Him known. Paul talked about this. He considered everything that he had achieved, and he'd got the highest that he could possibly go in the religious realm. And he said, I considered it as rubbish, dung, refutes, garbage, everything that I had achieved, all the notoriety, everything that I had. It was nothing compared with knowing Christ my Lord and sharing in the fellowship of His sufferings. Then he says, I become all things to all men by all means that I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in his blessings. He said, I'm going to spend my life, I'm going to have my life poured out as a drink offering to know Christ and to make him known. I'm going to embrace God's priorities in my life. Now, how many of us have done that? How many of us are doing that right now? Can we honestly say that God's priorities are our own? To know him. That's the heartbeat that we go through each day to commune with Him, to long for Him. 
to desire to be with him and to tell other people about who he is. We have to be embracing God's priorities. See, following Jesus means surrendering our ego. It means investing in an eternity, but it also means knowing the ending is just the beginning. Look back at verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. He's talking about the second coming of Christ. When Christ turns, it comes again, and that's when we enter into eternity forever and ever. And that what we do in this life is going to affect us forever. But what we do now, it's just the beginning. We think it's the ending, but it's really just the beginning. C.S. Lewis captures this so eloquently in his last book of the Chronicles of Narnia series entitled The Last Battle. The last two pages, he says this. He writes, No fear of that, said Aslan, who's the Christ-like character. He's speaking with Lucy, Lucy, uh, one of the main characters throughout the series. And he says, Have you not guessed? Their hearts leaped, and a wild hope rose within them. He tells her there was a real railway accident, he said softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the shadow lands, they call this life, are dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. Meaning everything was a precursor to this life. It's, that was the dream world. This is the real world. That was the, the, the semester. Now it's vacation. That was the hard work. This is salvation. This is eternity. And he goes on to say, he says, And as he spoke, he no longer looked to him like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and which every chapter is better than the one before. Powerful. Powerful. That's what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be better and better. But Jesus is saying, you know what? That's only for those who have embraced me. See, for those who are ashamed of me, And my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him in this adulterous and sinful generation. It means this. If you are hiding Christ by your life, you're not telling other people who who he is because you're really showing what you believe about Christ. I mean, we can, as we talked before, we can all give lip service all day long. But actions prove louder than words, right? Actions prove a lot louder than words. And he's saying there, if you are ashamed of me, which is shown by how we live our life, are you ashamed to tell other people that you go to church? Are you ashamed to tell other people that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you ashamed to tell other people that he is the hope of the world? Then know this, Jesus will be ashamed of you. So if you are hiding Christ, then know that you are going to be rejected. That's the danger. Hiding Christ results in him rejecting us. Letter, letter A under point three in your notes. Are you hiding Christ in your home? Are you hiding Christ from your coworkers, your colleagues, your classmates, your friends, your family? Jesus said that we are the light of the world, the city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We can't hide ourselves. We can't hide who Jesus is. If Jesus is your Lord, 
it's going to flow out of your heart. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. If you're so filled with Jesus, it's going to erupt from your mouth. I love the book of Jeremiah where Jeremiah tries to hold it in. In Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, he says this, If I say I'll no longer mention him or speak any more in his name, there is my heart as if it were a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary with holding it in, and I cannot. It just overflows. That's what happens when we're in love with Jesus. We can't stop it. Paul couldn't keep it in either. He said, necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. He says, I I can't hold it in anymore. Can you hold it in? The question that I have then is, what is your heart filled with? If you have a hard time speaking and it's not flowing out of the abundance of your heart, what are you talking about? See, what we're in love with is what we have to talk about. What we adore, what we delight in is what we talk about. And the reason we don't talk about Jesus is that we don't delight in him. It's like seeing a sunset, the most beautiful sunset in the world. We adore it. We want to tell other people about it. We want to see other, have other people see it. Just think of a, a great movie or a great book or something that touched you, a great song, a great concert. We want to tell other people, do we not? Wow, that was a great concert. Man, did you see that show last night? Whoa. Did you see that game? Woo! Sweet! And we're delighting in it, and we want to share with people what we delight in. The reason that we don't share Jesus with people is that we don't delight in him. We don't find our joy in him. Our heart doesn't overflow because we're not taking the time to nourish that relationship. But you see, there's a lot more involved. See, if we hide him, that results in him rejecting us. And that rejection, we don't talk about that very much. I had Mondo came up to me the other day. He said, you know, can we learn more about hell? I said, you know, that's a reality because we don't talk about hell that much. Hell is a very real place. And there's going to be people there that spend eternity there. Some people in this room. There's some people here that it might even be church members. They don't have a real relationship. That's a shame, and I hope that's not true. I mean, there's going to be pastors that are going to be in hell. Matter of fact, in New England, there's a statistic now that the, some of the seminaries are keeping that are pastors that have been converted in the pulpit. See, so many pastors out there aren't even redeemed. They're just doing it because of it's an occupation. There's going to be a time when when Christ comes again, he's going to judge everyone according to what they have done. Romans chapter 2 talks about this. We also see that man is destined to die once and then face judgment. So if either we die or he comes again, either way we're going to be judged according to what we have done. He's going to judge the living and the dead according to what is written in the book. And you know what? There are three things about his judgment. You can write this down. It's not in your notes, but I want you to write it down. First of all, it's going to be fair. There's not going to be... He's not going to miss any of the details. There's not going to be any evidence that's going to be considered inadmissible. You're not going to get off on a technicality because your memorandum rights weren't read. This is not an episode of Law and Order or CSI. He knows everything. He knows your DNA, and he knows every single deed you have done. So he is going to be completely, completely impartial. Okay, so it's going to be fair. Secondly, it's going to be final. There is no appeal. When it comes to Christ's judgment, it's done. That's it. 
That's it. It's a final say. There's no higher court to appeal to. Today we have appeals. We hear other appeals, and it goes up the courts and gets to the Supreme Court. This is God's court. And court is in session. There's no appeal. So it's, it's going to be fair, it's going to be final, and then it's going to last forever. It's going to last forever. Eternity is a very long time, my brothers and sisters. And we don't think about eternity very often. But the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, that God has placed eternity in our hearts so we don't know where he begins and where he ends. He's placed eternity in our hearts. We have a hunkering, hankering for eternity. That's why C.S. Lewis even said, he goes, if we have desires in which nothing in this world can satisfy, our only conclusion is, is that we were made for another world. It's true. We were made for a relationship with Almighty God. So, when we see if we hide in Christ results in Him rejecting us. Standing for Christ results in Him receiving us. Standing for Christ results in Him receiving us. Testifying for who Jesus is. Continually testifying to who He is. Knowing Christ. Making Him known. Taking up our cross on a daily basis. Not that we're saved by our works. We're not. We're saved by faith faith in Christ and what He has done. We are saved by faith through grace, and it's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one would boast. However, our lives are a loving response because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments in John chapter 14. The question that we have to be asking ourselves is this. Are we following him? Are we testifying to him? Are we hiding him? Or are we standing for him? Are we taking up our cross? Are we denying ourselves? Are we dying to sin? And are we devoting our lives to the Savior? Are we abandoning old pursuits and embracing God's priorities? Do we know how valuable our soul is? Are we trying to hide Him in the aspects of our life? Or are we giving ourselves over to Him day by day? And let me encourage you, let me admonish you, and let me beg of you that if you're not, if you're holding on to that one nail peg of sin in your life, repent of it and surrender. Surrender to that hound of heaven because it's the sweetest surrender you will ever experience in your life. Don't wait. Do it today. Let's pray. Father, you are the one true God. Lord, you, you're the one who calls us to take up our cross and follow you. Lord, we ask you, and I ask you, I beg of you, please, Lord, to speak to our hearts. Let those who have been touched by your spirit right now that are experiencing the conviction of their sin, they know that they're holding on to their sin, that they're looking to find their identity in the things of this world. They're pursuing so many things in this world. Lord, help us to truly take up our cross, to put to death, to mortify the sins in which we, we have in our lives and that we struggle with, and give our lives wholeheartedly to you. Lord, we want to follow you in, 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 with the, in the entirety of our lives. Lord, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Help us to lay our bodies out as, as offerings. Lord, help us to be poured out as drink offerings before you. Lord, help us to be that true living sacrifice as you talk about within your word. Lord, we want you to speak to us. We want you to work through us. We want, us to, we want to be ta- taking those steps of faith that you delight in. Lord, we want to know you and we want to make you known. Lord, we surrender. We give ourselves to you. We lay our sins at your feet and we ask you to transform us as individuals and as a church. And Lord, today, if there's someone here who has not yet trusted in you, Lord, I pray that you convict them of their sin and I pray that they cannot rest because they know that hound of heaven is chasing them until they 
turn and surrender. Lord, let them turn to that loving family member who knows you or one of the pastors or one of the elders. Or, Lord, just let them surrender to you and enter into that true life with you. And Lord, for those of us who have walked with you for quite some time, Lord, we do need that touch. We need that encouragement. Keep reminding us in how we might crucify the flesh daily by taking up our cross and appropriating your death as our own and your resurrection as our own as the Spirit of God makes alive the, the Word of God and, and writes it upon our heart. Lord, please help us to take that time necessary day in and day out to commune with you. Help us to see you for who you really are and what this world really is, that it's a sinful and adulterous generation who cares not for the things of God. Lord, help us to take a bold stance for you. Lord, not let it just be like lip service as Peter did, and then he was denying you to the servant girl. Lord, we know how quickly we can deny you after making such bold declarations of how we're going to follow you. But Lord, give us the courage, give us the boldness to live for you day in and day out in our workplaces, in our families, with our families and with our friends, with our colleagues, our co-workers, and our classmates. Lord, use us to reach them for the glory of your awesome name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.